Coming up on Chasing the Natty, good lord in heaven, there were a lot of spring games yesterday, and we're set to let you know what some of the biggest takeaways were from across the CFF landscape. Are Texas and Quinn Ewers returning to CFF relevance? Is Georgia Tech an under-the-radar offense for CFF this year? Who's looking like they'll be the next guys at CFF gold mines like Ohio State, Tennessee, and Wake Forest? Well, you're just going to have to listen and find out. To help us out with this, our guest month continues as we bring on rising CFF superstar Justin Leo from Volume Pigs to break it all down with us. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the all-time drop down for Franklin! A majestic touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. I am tired as you can believe. I spent all day watching football and I'm not in mid-season form. So by the time things ended yesterday, shoot, we didn't even have late night games and I was already beat from just trying to catch up with every game that was going on yesterday. And we'll definitely get into some of that. And then For those of you who didn't, for some reason, watch our CFF Ranking Summit, that was about two hours of myself, Nate Marquise, Justice, and Chris K bickering and arguing back and forth about all of our terrible, terrible ranking decisions, which was a ton of fun, so you should definitely go check that out over on the Campus Canton page. With all that being said, again, I'm super tired, So, but the job's not done. Got a lot of great spring games to cover. We got about 15 here lined up, and even more than that, we could cover. So... In order to help me out, because I am so tired, I brought on another wonderful guest, and that is Mr. Justin Leo, a dude that has just absolutely broken onto the scene. Um, I, I remember him just talking in like Twitter comments and chats and everything like that. He did a lot of my mock drafts last year and everything. Always has been a great dude, and this year he took it upon himself to really break onto the scene with just some excellent, excellent articles. He has his own Substack. I'll I'll let him talk about all that in here in a second. But for now, Justin, how are you doing today, sir? Well, you're very kind, Jared. It's uh, <laughs> a great intro. And uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Doing okay. I, I don't think I'm as tired as you are. I've had a pretty relaxing day. So uh, we'll see how this goes. But as I was saying in the intro, feeling feeling a bit jittery, feeling a bit anxious. So, you know, uh, I just want to set the expectations low. <laughs> Justin, <my> Justin <laughs> you got nothing to worry about, dude. You're an incredibly smart guy. Your articles are top notch a reason why if y'all haven't heard already we have added justin to part of our writing team for the cff content over here at campus again we were we have been impressed with him pretty much since he put out his very first article and we've been working behind the scenes to get him as a part of this team ever since so justin welcome to the team and keep doing what you're doing man yeah yeah no it's it's great to be here great to be here great to be on the show so with that all being said again 
we got a lot of stuff to get to today, so pretty much I will go ahead and knock out our little spiel here at the very beginning. Just get all the business stuff out of the way, and let's get over to you know the fun stuff, the stuff you guys want to hear about. But first, I got to tell you guys to make sure you go over and subscribe to CampusAccountant.com, where we have all of your fa- college fantasy needs, whether you are in CFF, C2C, Devi, all of it is over there. We got written content, tools, metrics. Anything you want to look up regarding college fantasy, we probably already have something there to help you out with it. So make sure you go over there. Got three different tiers. In my opinion, you should get the highest tier possible because, quite frankly, it just becomes a better and better deal the higher tier you go up. Um, if you get the highest tier, you can get all three of our guides for free, which is our freshman supplemental, Devi guide, and our CFF guide, which will be coming out later this summer. Those themselves are a $60 value, and then you pretty much get everything else for the price of the lowest of the lowest tier. So pretty like quite frankly, it's just a massive, massive deal. Go check out that over there. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Love interacting with you guys down there in the comment section. And specifically, make sure you guys subscribe. We have a goal of hitting 1,000 subscribers by the start of the season. Shout out to Luke, by the way. Uh, Luke went and shared the channel with a bunch of his college football buddies last week and got at least 10 to 12 of his friends to subscribe in just one day. So really great shout out to Luke there. And if you are listening to this on podcast rather than YouTube, just go ahead and follow us wherever you're listening and leave those five-star reviews where you can love 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 reading those on apple podcasts and then last but not least twitter is the main place you can find myself if you want access to me i am at cff underscore jared and then you can also follow the show's account at chasing the natty lots of announcements coming your way there justin while we're in the midst of spiels why don't you tell everybody about your sub stack and what they could expect over there in terms of your content yeah, no, sure. So, of course, I'm also on Twitter. You can find me at Volume Pigs. Uh, I launched my platform a couple months ago. It's on Substack. Talk about CFF mostly, college football, college football recruiting lightly. That, that kind of gets mixed into some of my articles. Uh, but mostly the focus is on CFF, just highlighting players for the offseason, guys to keep you know your eye out on, guys to target going into your, your drafts in the summer. And so, yeah, no, talking CFF stuff, you can find me at Volume Pigs on Twitter volume picks on Substack. uh yeah yeah C- come by we- we'd love to have you around yeah again justice or justice excuse me justice i just got done talking to justice about an hour ago justin is incredible in the content that he makes really some of the just most top tier writing you can find in the space right now absolutely go check it out over there justin let's get into the fun stuff here let's go talk about some of these spring games and if you look at the graphic i have here on the page Dear God in heaven, there are so many spring games this week. I think somebody said, I, I, I forget who said it, but somebody said that like 60% of programs in the FBS had their spring games this past week. It, it was just an absolute madhouse to keep up with this week. So I guess that's kind of where we'll start, Justin. Which spring games were you able to catch live and which uh, versus like ones you had to go back and watch later? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, as a, if you guys don't know, I'm a, f- a fan of the, the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, and so Smart that was man. Kind of, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the, the, the first one on, the, on my priority list. Uh, the other one was the Ohio State game. Just wanted to see sort of how the quarterbacks looked. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, I saw the Florida game one, uh, which was, what, a couple of days ago. 
uh, just because it was like the only one that was on that day. I know that was mm -hmm. a complete crap show. There wasn't much really to 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 get from that. Uh, besides that, I, I think I tuned in a little bit to the Clemson one, but for the most part, I was just on that guy's YouTube channel who does those cut-ups, those 20-minute cut-ups of Spring oh, yeah. Lifesaver. Yeah, so the, I was mostly just checking into those uh, and just scrolling through to see if anything caught my eye. Uh, took a look at the Texas A&M one, a couple others. Yeah, I was able to catch the Ohio State one. Um, obviously, again, like like you, I, I watched the entirety of the Georgia one. That was the one I probably had the most eyes on because, again, I am a Georgia fan at the end of the day, so I'm going to pay attention to my team. Uh, I was able to catch uh, Penn State as well. Texas I had my eye on. We'll talk about them here in a bit. Uh, Tennessee as well. I was able to go back and catch a little bit of theirs. Um, Old Miss as well. I, um, I tuned in for a good chunk of theirs. And then the kind of the later night ones I didn't really tune into as much. Again, I, I was I was tired. I was, not like I said, not in midseason form. But uh, just one Georgia fan to another, uh, Justin. Any takeaways you had from that game real quick? Because it's not one of our 15 we're going to be talking about today. But, you know, yeah, while we're here. Well, it's a tough program for CFF. You know, they, they rotate every position so much. So, you know. Exactly. I, not too much to talk about from the skill position standpoint. I was impressed by Carson Beck, the quarterback. Yes, sir. Uh, it, that was an obvious sort of question mark coming into it. I wasn't as impressed with the other two. Uh, but uh, in terms of skill players, not that I would actually really draft any of the Georgia skill players, but, but Dominic Lovett did stand out. Uh, he looks pretty good, that wide receiver. Uh, in terms of non-CFF, I would say like the defense definitely impressed me, especially some of the young guys coming up, the 23 class. Oh, yeah. I have to some of them look quite impressive. Uh, Damon Wilson in particular, CJ Allen, some of those guys, but I, I won't bore the crowd, the CFF crowd with uh, non-CFF talk here, but uh, definitely the defense looked pretty good and uh, Roderick looked okay. I thought uh, at running back, he looked pretty solid, uh, basically because everybody else was out with injury, but uh, yeah, yeah, back for the most part, I think was, was mostly what I looked at and he, he seemed pretty impressive to me. Yeah, I think people are going to be a little surprised by the end of the year, like, again, obviously, uh, pass first quarterbacks in systems where you're not throwing the ball like you don't have insane volume aren't the wisest investment for cff but i do think he's going to be one of those guys where just through his arm he might surprise everybody where he finishes by years and just because i I personally think he's going to throw for more touchdowns than setson bennett did setson had a lot of his value through his legs, which Carson does not have. Carson does not have Setson's legs. Uh, Gunner and Brock are closer to that. But I think Beck had the best arm last year, and I think he'll be able to utilize that a little bit better. Um, in terms of um, the running back position, again, we saw Roderick a lot yesterday. I think a lot of people were very bummed out we didn't get to see more Branson. That was kind of a late-breaking deal. Everybody was excited with Milton and Edwards out, like, oh, maybe we get to see Branson a lot today. Branson got injured with a toe injury the week before so unfortunately we didn't get to see him that's enough georgia talk though like you said we're boring people let's go and talk about some of these other teams out there and really no other place to start than the ohio state buckeyes one of our glorious glorious places for cff they have give, been very good to us over the last couple of years with all their wide receivers and quarterback um performances so it kind of surprised a lot of people, I think, yesterday when the offense really looked out of sync for the most for the most part in the first half. I believe Nate um, Nate Marquise counted in our Slack channel. He said there were six drives where the first team offense just did not score. Like they did, they, they didn't they didn't score. 
Um, they didn't score a field goal. They didn't score anything. Like it, it was just completely out of sync. I think that's one because they took Marvin Harrison out really early. I think he had three catches for 62 yards, and then they just called it a day for him. You didn't have Egbuka out there. Julian Fleming was not out there as well. Jaden Ballard was out there, and he was one of the more consistent options from McCord. But he was playing with guys like Carnell Tate on the first team. Carnell Tate just arrived five minutes ago. But that is another kind of takeaway here. Carnell Tate looked really good. Carnell Tate, I think, I said this in a tweet recently, where like most of the time when you're taking freshman wide receivers in, at Ohio State, they have such a they, they bring in so many guys that you're almost taking shots on a bunch of really talented dudes and hoping that you get the right one. You get the next M- uh, JSN. You get the next Marvin Harrison Jr. You get the next Garrett Wilson. You get the next Olave. I don't think you're taking a shot with Carnell Tate. I think he is hashtag next for Ohio State. And quite frankly, I think he is somebody that if you're doing like a supplemental draft in either CFF or C2C, he's somebody I would take in like the first round. So, Justin, your thoughts overall on the Ohio State spring game performance? Yeah, I mean, really what I was most interested in, I didn't expect that we would see a lot of uh, MHJ. I, I figured they'd probably wrap him in bubble tape. But I, I was kind of interested to see the kind of forgotten class, which is that 2022 class. So guys like Kojo Antwi, I think his name's Caleb Burton. Yeah, Caleb like, Burton. Yeah, I was interested to see, you know, sort of where they were at and, and how involved they might be. Because, uh, you know, I, I think people tend to sort of focus on you know, the incumbents and then they're looking at the freshman guys, the guys in the middle tend to get forgotten a lot of times. Uh, and, you know, with Kojo in particular, I'm familiar with him, followed his recruitment from, from Georgia. Right. So I was interested to see, he got a lot of work at least in the first half. It looked like they, they threw to him a couple of times, which is, I was interested to see uh, just because I was wondering, you know, these guys kind of seem like they might be transfer portal tar- targets or candidates mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, Jaden Ballard, uh, love me some Jaden Ballard. Uh, I've written about him before. Um, you know, I think a lot of people probably don't realize maybe how close he is to being in the rotation this season. He's True. not that from being the wide receiver three. I think a lot of people sort of just assume that Fleming is going to be that guy. Uh, but with his injury history, just and also the fact that he hasn't really been that great through his first, was it two, three years? Uh, and he doesn't really bring anything to that room that's elite or different than the other two, like Buka and Harrison do. Whereas mm-hmm. Ballard has an elite trait. He's uh, he's an elite speed guy. He can take the top off the off the defense. Uh, and keeping in mind, this is a program that saw it, a player come out of that room a few years ago and just torch college football with Alabama, Jameson Williams, of course. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I do wonder how that rotation is going to, we know who wide receiver one, wide receiver two is, but I, I am very interested to see who ends up securing wide receiver three uh, and I, I do want to just continue to monitor that situation because I'm, I'm quite high on Ballard. I, I think he can, you know, work his way into the rotation. Uh, so I, I'm pretty interested to see that. Keeping in mind as well that after this year, both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ibuka could potentially be moving on. Uh, so in terms of who's to know for next season, uh, those were a couple of names I wanted to know from the 22 class as well as, you know, Ballard. Uh, just to see sort of how how involved they'd be, uh, but I, I echo your sentiment as well. You know, Tate uh, Cornell Tate looks pretty good. Uh, obviously, I guess we didn't get a chance to see Ennis as he's not on campus yet. But uh, you know, Tate looked pretty impressive early on. It's, it's a good sign for his trajectory early on. Yeah, I'm fully with you on Jaden Ballard. Again, I was a big Fleming guy last year, 
And he had some pretty good performances just by nature of him being one of the starting three wide receivers for Ohio State. The problem is, like you said, his injury history, once he got injured again, he really couldn't bring it back up from there. I wouldn't be shocked if Ballard at some point kind of overtakes him as that third main option for Ohio State. Either that or one of Ballard or Fleming could transfer after the spring. I'm interested to see who all comes out of Ohio State after the spring. They seem to do... Do a pretty good job of holding on to guys. Um, speaking of which, there are B room. I feel like, like I've, I've been saying this quite often throughout this offseason, that this RB room scares me. They got a lot of really good options here. Travion yeah. Henderson, obviously, Mayan Williams, they, they're at the top. But Dallin Hayden had a lot of really good run last year when both of those guys went down. So he's going to want to get touches again this year. Evan Pryor was a guy that in last year's spring game kind of went off before he got injured. And he would have been somebody that absolutely would have been in the mix last year. And then now this year, Trey Onum, uh, Chip Trey Onum, back from the dead, um, was the running back at Arizona State, transferred to Ohio State, went to linebacker. Now he's back at running back. And they got five really good options here. There's no way I don't think they're going to be able to keep all of these guys happy. Or if they do keep all these guys happy and keep them on the roster, we as CFF players are not going to be happy because they're going to rotate these guys so much. So that definitely scares me. Yeah, I'm really with you, you know, and I don't know off the top of my head what Travion Henderson's ADP is, but my my guess is that he's probably getting taken within the first three, four rounds of drafts. Uh, and that seems, you know, that there's, there is significant risk there just when you look at sort of, as you said, the depth in this running back room. Uh, and I have to say, Dallin Hayden looks really good every time I watch him. I don't know if he's still going to be here, you know, by the time the season kicks off. It seems kind of silly that he, that all of these running backs would. Uh, but as you said, uh, Ohio State does a pretty good job of convincing these guys to stick around. Uh, but yeah, in terms of drafting their running backs for CFF, you know, I, I don't know what really what to make of this room. Uh, I certainly don't want to pay the price that's required for Travion Henderson. Uh, so likely, I probably am not going to own any of these players because literally you have five players that all seem like they could be CFF relevant, which means probably none of them will be. Uh, yep. And so so really, that the, there's, you know, I like all these players. I, I like Travion. I think he's really good. I really like Dallin Hayden. Uh, when he got carries last season, I think it was against Maryland, he got like 20-plus carries. Yep. He looked really good. He's a really sleek player. He's, he's got enough size. He's very fast, very agile. Uh, so if, if he were to go to a program where they were just to give him the volume, he could be a CFF superstar as well. Uh, but as long as he's at Ohio State, you know, I, I don't foresee myself drafting any of these these running backs just given that you know it's likely to be a committee yeah Travion Henderson's currently going about the 305 306 in ADP I agree that's that that's still it, that still feels too high to me Mayan Williams is the next option he goes down around round 10 if you're gonna take one guy like probably I'd take a shot on Mayan uh because I think he'll I, I think it'll at least be a one-two punch between those two so we'll definitely see Let's move on from the Big Ten. Let's go talk about some Big 12 schools and really no other place to start than Texas. And the big takeaway I had was, good Lord, they are spoiled on offense with the weapons that they have. Between Worthy, Mitchell, and Whittington as your starting three wide receivers, you got Sanders as your starting tight end, and then behind them, you got Jonte Cook, the five-star freshman coming in who looks absolutely phenomenal already. And you have Isaiah Nayor, who's coming back from an ACL injury, who by all accounts sounded like easily one of the best one to two wide receivers they had last year. 
good lord, they're gonna, they're gonna be spreading that ball all around. And quite frankly, it could limit the ceiling on some of these guys. But also, we've seen Sarkeesian's offense be able to have more than one capable wide receiver in the past, so I'm not too worried about it. And then, man, at running back, um, this running back competition means back wide open. I was kind of leaning towards Brooks because he was the guy who had the experience. Uh, but then he gets injured, and now Jadon Blue and Cedric Baxter really look like they are taking advantage of the fact that Brooks is out right now. And one of these guys... Sarkeesian's been very clear. One of these guys is going to be a thousand yard back. They're going to figure out which one's the best one and they're going to make sure that they get him to a thousand yards. So to me, it's worth it to keep taking shots on all three of these guys because all three of these guys are going pretty, pretty late here. So, Justin, your thoughts on Texas and what kind of takeaways did you have? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to Ohio State where you have a lot of names in each of these rooms and it, it is an elite system. So you, you want to be aware of all of these guys. But unlike Ohio State, at least with the running back room, you don't really have to pay a steep price for any of the assets in that room. As you said, none of the running backs in terms of ADP right now are that high. So it does actually kind of make sense to just take a chance uh, on whichever guy you like. I don't know at this point, as you said, there's really not enough information out there to suggest you know who that's going to be so you kind of have to take take that on as a risk uh, in terms of the wide receivers again it's a very crowded room which does scare me because if you're looking at it and you say okay two three four different wide receivers could all be cff relevant it's likely maybe none of them will be or at least not consistently every game uh, it wouldn't surprise me if one game worthy goes off for whatever a couple hundred yards two touchdowns next game it's ad mitchell you know, next game, it's someone else. Uh, so it, it could sort of rotate on a week-by-week basis in terms of the wide receivers and who gets the bulk of the targets. Uh, I was kind of pleased to see Quinn Ewers. He, I thought he looked better in this spring game. Uh, and I don't know what his ADP is off the top either. But uh, I think he could be in a position now where people kind of remember getting burned on him from last season. Uh, and now maybe you can actually draft him at more of an appropriate position. And given his improvement, he might actually uh, sort of yield a nice return this season. It's obviously it's an elite system, so you want to sort of keep an eye out for the Texas quarterback. He's got right all these all these weapons, uh, so he should be in for a big year. Uh, and certainly, I think you know anywhere in the mid range for Quinn Ewers is probably appropriate. Uh, I saw a quote just leading up to the show. It sounds like, you know, Sarkeesian has named him the, the starter. He has. More or less, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I'll take that with a grain of salt because if they start the season poorly, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to explore <laughs> explore the other QBs. Uh, Malik Murphy's been there for a few years. I'm sure he wants to play at some point. Again, you know, that, that, that could be a guy who might transfer. But assuming he's still there in the season, I imagine he'll, he'll want to be in the rotation. Uh, so... So, yeah, so I was pleased to see uh, Quinn Ewers' development. Uh, and with, you know, the running backs, they looked good. But again, you know, with, without any sort of information pointing to one, it's still kind of up in the air. I, you know, which one is going to be the guy? We don't know yet, right? So Quinn Ewers is an interesting discussion. We actually just talked about him on our CFF ranking summit where one of us had him ranked at uh, QB 22. The rest of us had him in, like, the late 30s, if not further down he's currently being drafted as a qb 26 so i do think you're getting some value if you are big on quinn ewers this year to me quinn ewers's ceiling is 2020 max jones 
So like that that is a Sarkeesian offense right there. You don't see elite volume in terms of passing, but you do see a guy surrounded by a ton of weapons, similar to Kyle McCord at Ohio State. Tons of weapons. They're going to be very they're gonna be a very efficient offense because they have so many different guys they could pass the ball to and count on. I think there's a world where that happens. However, I still am a little worried because Quite frankly, we saw what his floor was last year, and it still wasn't very good. It was QB 108 on the year, and I expect him to take a step this a step forward this year. I don't I I have him ranked as my QB 38 off the top of my head, and so I fully expect him to be CFF relevant. However, I just don't know if I would be drafting him as high as some people are drafting him as like a potential QB one or QB two. I'm not ready to put him in my starting lineup just yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement there. I mean, I, I think there's value if you can get him at somewhat of a discount. Uh, still quite a bit of risk there. Because, uh, again, you know, if, if they start the season off poorly, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to go with Malik Murphy just to keep him around and see what they have there. Uh, so, yeah. It actually, it's an interesting point. I, I believe Nate brought it up during our summit where he said, uh, where he asked um, if they were going to make um, some goal line packages for Murphy in order to keep him around. Because I agree with you, Murphy seems like a big transfer candidate especially with how good he looked in the spring game you would think he might try to leverage that into a starting position somewhere else in some of these qb needy teams we'll see let's let's keep it in the big 12 here and let's go to some of the new big 12 teams i i almost put these in the g5 section because i completely forgot i keep forgetting that they have moved up but let's go over to cincinnati here two storylines i want to touch on here one is this quarterback battle between ben bryant and emory jones and it does look like those are the two fighting for the starting quarterback job here at cincinnati all of us evan prater lovers uh the dream's dead sorry y'all uh evan prater did not look good and it looks like he is not in remotely in consideration for the starting job but if we're cff guys man we're rooting for emory jones to win this job we've seen what ben bryant looks like now, granted, obviously Luke Fickle's moved on, Scott Satterfield moves in, but we've seen what Scott Satterfield does when he has a true dual-threat QB at his disposal. We saw it last year with Malik Cunningham and what he did the two years before that. That could be a ton of fun there, but we'll definitely see. The, the pundits, from everything I have read, they seem very split on who should be winning this job. So I do, agree, I do think this is a legit job that will go into the fall. Definitely rooting for Emory Jones. The last one here, this is more CFF Dynasty than anything else, but true freshman Barry Jackson has been talked about as, quote, the best player on the field. And he is, again, a guy. he's a guy that's arrived basically five minutes ago. This is a team that is losing some of their top targets at receiver and guys like Tyler Scott, Trey Tucker. So there's definitely some room here for a guy like Jackson to come in and make an immediate impact here. It's just a question of how much do you believe in the Scott Satterfield offense. We'll definitely see. Justin, your overall thoughts on Cincinnati here? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on on the quarterback position. It, it'd be great if Emory Jones were to win this, just given Satterfield's track record with Malik Cunningham. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know how 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 effective passer Emory Jones is, but obviously the, the rushing upside is there. And you know, within CFF, when you're drafting quarterbacks, there's sort of two categories you're looking for: either those high volume guys that you mentioned earlier. Or are you looking for these dual threat guys uh, like Cunningham, like Emory Jones? Uh, so, you know, I think everyone in the CFF community is, is kind of fingers crossed, hoping he wins it. 
uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. I, I was actually going to write an article on Emory Jones like several weeks ago, uh, but just there were no rumblings or anything from camp to really work with. And I was just like, oh, I don't even, <laughs> information was sparse and I wasn't even sure mm -hmm. if he was there and practicing with them. So I was like, I don't want to publish anything that could be completely out there. Uh, but it's an interesting note about uh, the, the wide receiver. Uh, again, given Satterfield's sort of track record, he has had CFF relevant uh, volume pig wide receivers. If I can do a shameless plug here, go ahead, man. You, you could sort of recall uh, Tutu Atwell a couple of years ago. He was he was pretty productive. I believe that was 2021. Uh, and shout out to Cedar Grove High uh, in Georgia. It's, yes, uh, sir. Uh, there's quite quite a few there alumni on the Bulldogs currently. So. Uh, interesting tidbit there to keep in mind. I, I know as well on this team, I think it's Donovan Ollie from Washington State transferred in at wide receiver. Yes, sir. He was another one that I, I am kind of trying to track and see because, again, there is sort of a track record with Satterfield uh, of feeding sort of his wide receivers or at least one uh, a significant amount of, of, of volume. And so uh, certainly certainly a, a program under Satterfield that you want to sort of watch because, uh, again, not these guys really aren't ones that people in the CFF community are talking about a lot. So you can generally get them at a, at a pretty good cheap price, uh, especially Emory Jones. Um, I, I imagine this freshman probably hasn't been drafted in, in any mock no. draft. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not advising that people do, uh, but like, sort of just throwing it out there as a name to keep in mind and watch over spring. Yeah. Emory Jones, I just found him. He is going as the QB 62 right now, and he's being basically taken at the, tail end of the 19th 20th round so like very much available guy if you just want to take a shot on a guy who's probably your fifth or sixth quarterback that you're drafting for your team and you're just looking for upside he's definitely somebody that i would target excuse me i don't know why i just had a couple burps there um let's move on from cincinnati to another team that is moving up from the aac to the big 12 let's go talk about these ucf golden knights um we couldn't watch this game for some reason they're they're like the only power five team i've seen so far that just didn't have any kind of um didn't have any kind of broadcast for their spring game which kind of sucks ucf fixed that you're a big enough school we did get though a good spreadsheet in terms of the stats from this game First of all, shout out to John Rice Plumley for playing a baseball game, leaving in the seventh inning, and then go playing in this spring game where he went off for 217 yards and two touchdowns. Actually, a pretty good performance overall for John Rice Plumley here in this spring game. But that's not who we want to talk about. We know about JRP. Let's talk about both the receivers and the running backs here. So I guess we'll start with receivers. Kobe Hudson. 10 targets, 5 receptions, and 116 yards in this game, and a touchdown. And then you also have Javon Baker, who saw 6 targets, 2 receptions, 55 yards, and a touchdown as well. We've seen guys like Ryan O'Keefe do well in Gus Malzahn's system before. However, I would say you typically see i don't want to, i don't want to call ryan o'keefe a gadget guy but you know he's a guy you you're creative in the way you get him touches you get end arounds you uh get him on jet sweeps things like that kobe hudson javon baker really neither one of them strike me as that so that makes me a little bit hesitant because we don't really typically see traditional wide receivers do well in gus Mazon's system but you know you get 10 targets in the spring game that's an, an on two different teams 
that's enough to get my attention here. So I would say both Baker and Hudson are guys that are going really late in a lot of best ball leagues. I wouldn't mind taking the shot there. Justin, your thoughts on the receiver situation here with the Golden Knights. Yeah, I mean, Javon Baker in particular, he was CFF relevant last season at times. You know, he was kind of a little bit streaky, but he had a couple of couple of good games. If I if my memory is correct, you know, feel free to fact check me. I am fact checking uh, you as we speak. Yeah, but uh, I, I seem to recall Baker had a couple of couple of good games for UCF last season. Uh, so if I were to draft a wide receiver from this team, that's probably where I would start. Uh, that being said, I you know I don't know that I have that much interest in this wide receiver room. Again, uh, JRP is kind of this dual threat rush first QB, uh, and now the OC I believe is the OC from UAB from last season. Mm-hmm. Can't remember. Uh, but they, the UAB team last season was exceptionally run heavy, uh, so much so that they had basically two running backs that were CFF relevant. Certainly McBride was, and even Jermaine Brown Jr. had his games where he saw major volume. So, you know, and, and even Gus Malzahn, if you look at his track record, he's had teams that have been exceptionally run heavy as well. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the identity of this team is going to be. Uh, but in terms of the wide receivers, uh, I don't really foresee myself drafting either of them, but if I had to, it'd probably be uh, Javon Baker. Yeah, I think he might be the one that I might take the shot on. But again, Kobe Hudson definitely kind of grabbing my attention a little bit with those 10 targets. The other part of this is the running back situation. I'm a big fan of RJ Harvey. I straight up thought that he was the best running back that UCF had last year. Um, and because of... Um, why am I blank? I, uh, because of Bowser's just straight up inefficiency as the running back one. He goes down. RJ Harvey comes in. It's basically just a straight up better running back. Problem is, it seems like this staff is really starting to buy back into one Demarcus Bowman, who transferred in last year after transferring from Clemson to Florida and then Florida to UCF. I believe not in the same offseason, but he didn't do anything at Florida. And so he goes to Central Florida. And quite frankly, I am I'm hoping that this is not the case, that these two are going to be basically given equal carries because one, I think Harvey's better. And two, I don't know if this team is going to be able to handle both JRP, RJ Harvey, and Demarcus Bowman. Like there's they're just gonna start eating into each other at one point, which is definitely sucks because it's been fun having the Gus Malzon RB1 the last couple of years. Your thoughts here, Justin? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's funny you mentioned Bowser. I, I remember his stat lines last year. You'd have like 50 yards every game, but like two or three touchdowns. Yep. It, was, it was one of the most sort of bizarre things. But then in terms of the room uh, for this season, you know, with RJ uh, Harvey, my only concern with him is he is a bit slight. Uh, I don't have the exact metrics, but from what I recall, he's something in the range of like 5'8", 180, 190. Uh, so I am a little concerned about his ability to be durable throughout the season and actually withstand the workload. And whether or not the coaching staff would actually feel confident in, in feeding him that level of volume. Uh, you know, Bowman, certainly an intriguing character, the former five-star, you know, the big name, committed to Clemson, as you were mentioning, then Florida, now at UCF. Uh, so that's always intriguing, uh, but he's another guy who's kind of struggled with his size throughout his career. And he, he's always been, you know, light, uh, too light, I would say, uh, to be a bell cow running back. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting room. Certainly, I think the system in place uh, has my attention. And as you said, you know, if there were to be a guy who who emerged, 
there would there could be immense CFF upside, but I I don't I'm not filled with confidence when I look at the two top options uh, that they do have. I'm filled with confidence with Harvey because again I saw him do it last year. He looked really good. Problem is now you got Bowman coming in and I'm talking about Harvey being slight. I mean Bowman's even slighter again. He's he's two inches taller but weighs right about the same. And quite frankly, if I remember correctly, somebody said that like Bowman had gotten down to like the 180s. Like he like he is really really tiny now maybe that's been fixed this spring but regardless like i maybe they're still just relying solely on talent there but i i don't know i don't like it let's move on from the big 12 let's go over to acc we got a ton of teams here to talk about and by ton i mean four um but we're gonna start with the top dog here let's talk about clemson here not too much to take away here but i think it was worth talking about them again being one of the top programs you got garrett riley coming in a lot of offensive changes going on there i think people were kind of hoping that we would see a little bit more offensive fireworks than we did but instead we got a little bit of offensive struggles Cade klubnik especially uh completing 18 of his 33 throws 190 yards Two different interceptions. Both of them were tipped balls, so I'm not going to blame it too much on him, but he also didn't score on the day, so a little bit of a rough day for the starting quarterback there. And one thing that was pretty clear, though, is that Klubnik and Jake Brinningstool, Jake Brinningstool is the tight end over there. They clearly, clearly have some pretty good chemistry going on there. This is a team that is having some receivers it sounds like continued to have some separation struggles and so when you have a team like that you're just going to throw it up to the guy that is six foot seven uh just like georgia did with darnell washington a couple uh several times last year and it looks like bring sewell might be one of the go-to guys in this offense and we know for a fact that garrett riley is not afraid to utilize the tight end especially if they are a cut above the rest of the receivers so burning really needs to be on y'all's radar just a little bit more so, Justin, your thoughts on Club Nick, the passing game, Burning Soul, anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, Club Nick, I, I thought he I thought he was okay. I thought he looked okay. I mean, it's funny. You listen to Dabo anytime they're interviewing about interviewing him about players, and he's like the, the chief of propaganda for Clemson. Like, every of player is like the best player since sliced bread. You know, he's hyping up every single player. So, it's like, you, you know, you listen to him, you get excited about certain players, and you look at what's actually happening, and you're like, oh, you know, I don't. This is just okay. You know, I don't, I don't really know what the hype is about. The club looked okay, and yeah, I actually wrote about him like a week ago. Uh, I am intrigued just with the new OC in town, Garrett Riley, as you mentioned, and his track record with guys like Tanner Mordecai, obviously Max Duggan last season. Uh, I think what's in, what's especially intriguing about Klubnik is sort of the rushing upside that he could uh, also offer. I mean, they used him in some games last season quite a bit on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a full threat QB, he could offer quite a bit of upside. I am concerned about the wide receivers still struggling, though. I, I was kind of hoping that with the new OC in town, and granted, it's only been a few months, so this this could change. Uh, but I was kind of hoping with Garrett Riley in town that there might be one or two guys that really kind of emerged at wide receiver. And it sounds like it, it wasn't a wide receiver. It was, you know, a guy did emerge, but it was tight end. Uh, not exactly what I was what I was looking for, although, you know, uh certainly the tight end could also be an intriguing option it's not really a history there at clemson uh off the top of my head i don't think tcu really had a cff relevant tight end with ryan last season but there was one in 2021 uh at smu with ryan i can't remember uh so that is an interesting you know nugget uh and again this would be another another name the clemson tight end who you could probably draft at any range 
uh, in, in a mock draft right now. I imagine he's probably not getting drafted. Um, looking it up right now, he actually is currently going as the tight end 16. And okay. it looks like that he is going around the... Uh, good Lord, I can't do math in my head real quick. Let's see if I can find it over here. Um, again, it's it, round 10 plus, definitely, but he is going, uh, round 14. There we go. I couldn't, I couldn't do, I couldn't do my times 12 tables quickly yeah. enough. Yeah, that, that, that's not so bad. And, you know, if there is a rapport there with Klubnik, who maybe if the wide receivers are struggling, this, this could be a sneaky CFF play in terms of the tight ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, and I don't know if we're, we're planning to cover it, uh, is the running back room, uh, is something that isn't interesting to me obviously uh what's his name will shipley's out this game so yes. keeping that in mind. uh but one thing that caught my eye and, and evidently quite a few people on twitter were sort of caught up in the same thing is phil Moffa looked incredible in this game uh you know uh, every time he touched the ball he looked pretty explosive very powerful i uh, was bouncing off guys uh so he, he was a player that really st- stood out to me in in the spring game and certainly is a guy that i feel like if anything were to happen with Will Shipley, let's say he were to miss an extended amount of time next season at any point, uh, Mafa really seems like he could be a guy that could be an absolute CFF stud. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent to me of of the Wisconsin 2021 team when they had Braylon Allen, Ches Malusi. Yep. Uh, Malusi was kind of the RB one, but they would work Allen in, you know, some games and have, you know, he'd finish games with like 10 carries for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and it was always kind of the the feeling among CFL players, like, man, like if Allen ever were to just be given full volume, this guy could be an absolute stud, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sort of a similar, uh, I see kind of a similar scenario here where certainly uh, it looks like Shibley and Mafa are probably going to be splitting a lot of the volume. I, I don't really, I can't see how they would keep Mafa off the field uh, just the way he was looking in the spring game. Uh, and as far as I know, I think Shibley is like a first or second round running back in CFF drafts right now. So I, I would just put the word out of caution uh, to C- CFF managers who are drafting Shipley uh, that you might want to sort of rethink, you know, how, how, how high you do want to, you want to draft him. Yeah. Shipley is currently going as the running back six in the second round. I have Shipley as my running back eight, but like, because he's being drafted in that early second round, I've almost never been able to touch him because Quite frankly, I, I go for guys like Kavorian Barnes or Damian Webb who go after him. So I'm like, if I'm going to get them a little bit later, why would I go for Shipley in the second round? Didn't ever really make a lot of sense to me there. I agree with you that probably, again, I think Shipley's going to be a good CFF back once again this year. Because again, he finished as the, oh, I'm looking at wide receivers. Where are you? Yeah, he finishes the RB19 last year. So again, you're probably going to get that again this year. But I don't think... You're again if you're drafting him as the RB six, I don't think you're going to get the RB six. I think you're going to get a guy that you're very safe with. I think you're getting a guy that you can still produce on a week in and week out basis. But you have to know that if you're going to draft him. So I think it's a very good point about Phil Moffa. Some people think that Phil Moffa is going to overtake Shipley. I doubt that considering that Shipley got like over a hundred more carries than him last year, and probably even more than that because of the touches they got the receiving game. But still, I agree that it get, like Mafa's going to get on the field and he's going to cap the ceiling of Shipley. Yeah, no, I, I'm in full agreement and I, uh, I don't want to stall this segment for too long. Sorry about that. But okay. yeah, let me just clarify. I fully expect Shipley to open the season as RB1 on the depth chart. He'll probably get more carries than Mafa. That, that seems like a safe uh, assertion. Uh, the concern is more so how much of his sort of carry volume is Mafa going to eat into. 
True enough. Let's go talk about Georgia Tech. This is not a team that I was planning on talking about going into this weekend. But something's kind of clicked for me here. And it really kind of goes back to maybe this little bit of homerism talking here. But Buster Faulkner comes over as the offensive coordinator. Uh, or He is now the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech. Was an offensive analyst at Georgia for a while, really. I mean, Faulkner was talked about as a potential replacement for Monken if Monken were to leave Georgia. Well, before Monken got taken to the NFL, Faulkner was hired by Georgia Tech as their offensive coordinator. So he's brought over here, and quite frankly, by all reports, he's expected to run a very similar system to Monken's offense. Monken, we know for a fact, has run a very impressive offense at Georgia the last two years, but the thing that's kept Georgia from being CFF relevant is the fact that, one, they got too many weapons, and two, they have a really good defense, so they're not forced to score. So what happens if you take Monken's offense, put it at a school where they have a terrible defense, and they are forced to score? I think that might be what we're getting here at Georgia Tech. It sounds like they've been able to install this offense rather quickly here, and they already definitely have some guys who are standing out here, namely Malik Rutherford. He is the leading returning receiver for Georgia Tech from last year after Nate McCollum goes off to UNC. And he really, again, there's been reports of him performing well throughout spring camp, and he confirmed it this past Saturday. Seven receptions, 154 yards, and two touchdowns and quite frankly if a guy like Zach Pyron who I think still has a pretty high floor there at Georgia Tech he's a true freshman this past year if he wins that starting job over a guy like Haynes King definitely could be a lot of fun here for that Justin do you have any thoughts on Georgia Tech and do you kind of agree with me that there's possibly a sneaky good CFF system kind of building here yeah, I mean, I, I think you convinced me a little bit with the uh, with the preamble there. Certainly, you know, intriguing to see what he does bringing Munkin's offense over to a team where they probably can't afford to rotate to the extent that UGA does at their positions, uh, which is the ultimate kind of death nail for the CFF value of UGA's players, right? It's, it's They do, a lot of people think that they don't pass the ball enough, and that's why the wide receivers aren't relevant, but it has much more to do with the fact that they're just rotating these guys so much that none of them are on the field enough to see major volume. At Georgia Tech, they might not really have that luxury because the the, the guys behind sort of the starters, the drop-off might be quite significant, uh, in which case there could be sort of some CFF relevancy here with their skilled players, specifically their wide receivers, because I, I expect they'll probably be playing from behind quite a bit. I don't expect that they'll be, you know, uh, a very strong team in the ACC uh, this season, although I could be wrong. Uh, and so certainly, you know, the, the wide receiver position, I think, is one that kind of intrigues me. Uh, I don't really, you know, I'd, I'd have to kind of look a little bit more into the QBs. Uh, but in terms of the names that they have, Haynes King and Pyron, you know, no, from what I know of them already, that, that doesn't inspire too much confidence in me. But I am intrigued to see what old, you know, Buster can do uh, down the road at Georgia Tech. Uh, and I think certainly I agree with you that there could be some sneaky CFF plays here, uh, especially at the wide receiver position. And again, none of these guys are going in drafts right now. Like even like even our deeper 35 round best ball drafts, like these are not guys that are coming off the board into those. So if I've convinced you, go take a shot at the very end of your be- of your next best ball. Or they'll probably, again, every one of those best ball drafts, there's always like three or four people who listen to this. And like, it's so funny in best balls when I'm in sometimes where you can tell who has been listening to the show because all of a sudden 
a player that we talked about on the show comes off the board and like three people are like, ah, dang it. I was hoping to get him this round. It's like that person, that player would have gone like five rounds later last week. It's, it's funny stuff. Anyway. Yeah. You have one more thing to say. I was going to say, yeah, you're just literally changing the ADP of players in real time with this show. I know. I should abuse my power more. Anyway, uh, let's go, let's keep it in the ACC. Let's go talk about Wake Forest here, another uh, gold team over here. This is a system I really don't think we're talking about enough this offseason, mostly because I think a lot of people see, oh, Sam Hartman's gone. Like, they're like, what are we going to do now? It's like, well, no, they have a guy. His name is Brett Griff- Mitch Griffiths, and he is your guy for this offense. All indications are that he is 100% running this system, not to perfection, but like as well as a new starter could be expected to do so. And according to um, according to the coaching staff there, he's completed roughly 70 to 80% of his passes this spring. Now, not as well in the spring game, 19 for 29, or yeah, 19 for 29, 319 yards, two touchdowns in the spring game. Still a very impressive performance. Again, not 70, 80% of your passes completed, but still very impressive. I've been aggressively ranking Mitch Griffiths. I think people have been way too low on him. I have him as my QB 25. And quite frankly, given some of the other guys I have in that kind of late QB 2 range, I might move him up even further than that. I think he is, like, you should be draft, You should be treating him like you were treating Sam Hartman last year. He should be going much higher. Again, maybe bump him down a little bit because he is a new QB. But we saw him start last year. Granted, it was against, like, East Who Cares University. But... He still performed the system very well. So that's one of my points. The other point is Jamal Banks, Keyshawn Williams were out. That allowed Donovan Green and Wesley Grimes to really stand out in this game. Donovan Green, three catches, 111 yards and a touchdown. Was out there for not very long, only a couple of series. But he went out there. He did well. He got shut down. That's all you can ask of him. Wesley Grimes really looks like one of those guys that's next up for Wake Forest. Not this year, but if you're in like a dynasty league... No reason why he should be hanging on your on your rosters, uh, on your waiver wire. Excuse me. He should be on your roster. I think he's gonna have a similar role to like Jamal Banks did last year because Jamal Banks was the number two X receiver behind At Perry, but that still was good enough for Banks to be the number three receiver in that offense. I think Grimes is very much gonna see a similar deal this year. I don't think he'll be one of the starters. I think Green, Banks, and Morin are your three starters, but. Grimes really looks like that next guy up. So that's kind of my takeaways from the spring game. Justin, your thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, you know, first, my first sort of question is, you know, how how, how would Mitch Griffiths look? Uh, what would the QB position look like uh, in Hartman's absence? Uh, and I'd actually sort of looked at Griffiths uh, around like August of last season when Hartman's season was kind of up in the air. I was considering, you know, picking him up off the wire and some of my teams just to see if there'd be some value there. Uh, and obviously Hartman ended up returning. Uh, but in the games that uh, Griffiths played last season, he looked you know, pretty solid from what I remember. Uh, and it sounds like he's the guy uh, for Wake Forest going into this season. So I, I would mirror your sentiment that you know he's probably a QB worth going out and drafting. Uh, I don't know what his ADP is, but as long as the, the price isn't too high, uh, he's probably a player that's worth, worth a draft. Uh, in terms of the wide receivers, you know, certainly... I think it's well documented the sort of track record at this uh, system for the wide receiver position. Uh, and so both Jamal Banks, Donovan Green, uh, a couple of names that are definitely intriguing. Uh, you know, with Donovan Green, he's kind of had sort of uh, an up and down career so far, right? He had sort of a productive season, I believe it was 2020, 
Uh, and then 2021, I think he missed. 2022, he came back. He was kind of up and down. Got lost, lost in the shuffle a little bit. Uh, but now the room has kind of opened up a little bit for him. Uh, and I, I think it was a comment on Twitter that I saw uh, that like the one game Griffith started was uh, Donovan Green's like season high in targets. Yeah, that was Clint uh, Carlson. He, he, he gave that yeah. little nugget. It was a very good nugget. Uh, Clint, because that's a great nugget. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to base <laughs> an entire decision off of that you know, entirely, but it is something uh, interesting to keep in mind that seems like there could be some rapport there. Uh, and at the very least, Donovan Green might be, you know, wide receiver two on this team, or at least maybe even wide receiver three, but sounds like he's probably wide receiver two on this team. Uh, and so, you know, those two guys, Jamal Banks, Donovan Green are probably two I'd be interested in, even more so probably Donovan Green, just because you can get them cheaper. Uh, and it's not that obvious to me that, you know, uh, Banks is wide receiver one, Green's wide receiver two. Uh, so it, it could be kind of a situation where Green works himself into uh, the top of that wide receiver hierarchy. So a couple points here. One, Mitch Griffiths typically going around like your thirteenth round, so that kind of puts him in the QB. I don't, sorry, I should have had this pulled up already, but that puts him pretty much in the QB. Uh, oh, good lord! I keep clicking on the wrong thing here. I'm so professional, y'all. I promise. Um, that puts him around the like QB thirty-four ish range. So he's kind of been going around as a QB three. Um, I'm still convinced very heavily that Jamal Banks will be the number one wide receiver for this team. Again, he's playing in that X role. That's where we've gotten our Sage Sherrods, our A.T. Perrys, our Ja'Kiri Robersons. It's just been a productive area. And even last year, you saw he gets more touchdowns than he probably deserves because he's playing in that area. I admitted it on Twitter earlier, though. Like I am very high on Jamal Banks. I probably haven't given Donovan Green enough of his due. There's, it's very possible that both of these guys are CFF relevant by the time the season comes around. So definitely looking out for him there. Let's go ahead and talk about our last ACC team. And of course, we got to talk about North Carolina. Um, because quite frankly, you got, you got Drake May. You got our wonderful Tez Walker over there. A lot, a lot of great options over there. Uh, shout out to Brandon Sanders, our guy here at Campus of Canton, for going out and watching this game alive. Got us some really, really good nuggets from over there namely who at wide receiver and running back were running with the ones so it looks like your starting three wide receivers were tez walker on the outside gavin blackbell on the other side and then kobe pesor there in the slot but the interesting part about it is that by the end of the day according to brandon sanders nate mccullum was among the top three targeted wide receivers when he was rotated in. So Gavin Blackwell is your other starting outside guy, but when McCollum comes in in the slot, he's also being pretty heavily targeted. Now that kind of tracks with what Drake May's kind of been trained to do uh, with the Phil Longo system, probably carries over a little bit into the Chip Lindsey system. We'll definitely see. And then the other part of it is the running backs. Elijah Green and Amarian Hampton were your two running backs who were running with the ones. Meanwhile, British Brooks, who's coming off his ACL injury, and Caleb Hood were the two running with the twos. Makes me cry as a George Petaway fan because that means that he is probably running with the threes. You got to think that somebody in that running back room is going to transfer. They just had too many bodies back there. Total log jam. Justin, your thoughts on the Tar Heels here. Who are you targeting for them? Yeah, well, I don't know that I am necessarily targeting either of their players. I mean, you know, 
I know Devontae Walker gets drafted quite high in redrafts right now. He's kind of the guy that a lot of people have gravitated towards. Uh, however, I think the price for him is a little high for me. Uh, I believe he's getting drafted in the third round. The, 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 the yes, track third round wide receiver 10. Yeah, the, the track record of these like G5 standout wide receivers moving up to the P5 is not exceptional. Uh, and I, I do, I am kind of uh, a little bit cautious on Devontae Walker's outlook this season. Uh, again, with this wide receiver room, it's kind of similar to some of the other rooms we talked about. When there's a bunch of names or a bunch of guys that seem like they could be CFF relevant, it kind of scares me off as well. Uh, just because, it's, again, it's kind of a dart throw. Uh, trying to pick which of these guys is going to be going to be the guy. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you don't need me to tell you that uh, Drake May is <laughs> probably a good play. I think everybody knows to draft him by now. Uh, running back room looks absolutely loaded or crowded, I should say. Uh, so certainly, there's some transfer candidates from that room. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see some some attrition there before trying to invest uh, in any of those players in particular. Uh, but we've we've seen some of the UNC running backs uh, when they do play, they, they've got some good players. Uh, so if one were to emerge, sure, uh, there could be some 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 value there. Uh, but uh, you know, it's something to keep in mind that this is not the Phil Longo system uh, of the past few years. This is a different OC. You alluded to it, uh, Jared. Chip Lindsay is now the OC. His track record is not as pristine, especially in the past game, I should say. Uh, compared to Longo. Uh, so keeping that in mind when you're looking at this wide receiver position, uh, don't get caught up in sort of the Deami Browns, the Josh Downs of the world, because the architect of that system is not here anymore. That being said, you know, there is still an elite quarterback. Uh, there sounds like there's some pretty good wide receivers in the room now. So there could be some, some relevancy there. Uh, but I don't really foresee myself drafting, I think, any of the wide receivers from UNC as it stands right now. At least at their current price. I mean, it, it, maybe if Devontae Walker falls, um, maybe. But uh, as it stands, yeah, I'm out. I don't think Devontae Walker's going to be falling. I think too many people are in love with just his raw athletic ability. And quite frankly, like when you have OCs like Jim, Chip Lindsay, where they do tend to spread it around a good bit, a lot of times you will see randomly a guy break through that pack because of their athletic ability, which is why I think Devontae Walker is still... He's worth drafting. Again, I think he's going too high right now, but like, I don't blame people necessarily for getting him because I do think he is the best wide receiver in that room right now. I, I disagree with you a little bit, Justin, in terms of like, you're right about G5 to P5. The track record hasn't been great, but you still have guys like Jake McCowan who came in and produced really, really well for Arizona. Because he was on a team with a really good offense, with a really good with a quarterback that fit him really well, and also they're on a team with a defense that gave up a million points, so they had to score in order to keep up with it. North Carolina 100% fits that bill as well. So, but I agree, definitely a little bit of caution to be had there. But you know, guys like Blackwell, Pesor, they're going really late in drafts, and so if you want to get a guy that you think. Um, if you think Devontae is going too high and you want to grab a piece of this later on, there's a couple options right there. Yeah, but, and, and I will add, you know, sorry to cut you off, Jared. It's I, okay. I will, we got a front row seat to it last season as Dogs fans. Is he had a phenomenal game against uh, Georgia, which is he obviously did. So, you know, we've, we've seen him perform quite well against some of the best P5 competition, albeit in a limited sample size. 
so if you are sort of on the uh, the Montez Walker hype train, you know, th th there is sort of reason uh, to do so. All right, let's keep it going. Let's go to the SEC and talk about another one of our CFF darling systems. It's the Josh Heupel and the Vols of Tennessee. A lot of starters out in this game, and by I mean a, a lot. I mean a lot. Jabari Small, uh, Jalen Wright, both out at running back. Uh, Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton, possibly uh, Dante Thornton. I never got confirmation that he was out of the game, but also didn't see him catch any balls. So I have a feeling that he was out. So basically, every, all the weapons were out for Tennessee. So it really gave us a great look at the next generation of Vols in terms of guys that could be coming after this next year. And really, we got to see Caleb Webb looked really good when playing with Joe Milton, Chaz Nimrod as well, Nathan Leacock. Definitely looks like any of these guys are plug-and-play systems for this Tennessee offense. They started a little slow, but that's kind of been the theme with a lot of these high-powered offenses that these spring games didn't quite live up to expectations. That's the wide receivers. The running back position is something I'm a little bit interested in here. Obviously, you still got Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. They're going to be factors this year. You're not going to see any of these young guys really step up here. But Dylan Sampson started off as with the first team at running back. But it was Cameron Selden, true freshman, who really stole the show, including a 24-yard touchdown late in the game. 13 touches, 88 yards, and a touchdown on the day. This is a dude I'm keeping an eye on for the future. He is athletically gifted like you would not believe. Our athletic comparison tool at CampusCanton.com has him compared to the following. Latavius Murray, Adrian Peterson, Bo Jackson, Kenyon Drake, Herschel, Wall, Wall, Herschel Walker. Excuse me. I don't know about you guys, but if I was ever athletically compared to one of those guys, I would be incredibly hyped this guy's compared to five of those guys. So it is definitely something to keep an eye on. Again, do I think he is going to take over the running back room immediately? Probably not, but he's going to get a role this year. He's going to be an instant impact, which is what you're looking for if you're drafting freshmen like that. Speaking of freshmen, Nico Iamalieva, or Iamaliava, excuse me. I cannot pronounce that long A right there. Um, up and down performance, but man, did you you saw some of the highest highs in this game that showed why he was given that five star rating. I still maintain Joe Milton will be the starter throughout this throughout this year. But you know, a year with Nico on the bench and a year after that, no reason I don't think any reason why you should be afraid of him potentially not being the next guy up after Milton leaves for this year. So, Justin, your thoughts on the Vols. What did you take away from this spring game? Yeah, well, you know, I was looking at the, the pre-show sheet that you're putting together, and, and, and that list of athletic comps uh, definitely caught my eye as well. It's, it's a pretty absurd list. Uh, if this guy isn't CFF relevant at some point in his career, then you know, I'm going to be a little disappointed. Uh, but certainly I agree that probably for this season, again, you know, Jabari Small was, was out along with, as it seems, all the other starters on the offense. So it's kind of tough to tell, you know, where he sort of fits into the rotation. Uh, you know, and I agree with you that probably Milton is the safe bet to, well, at least to start the season as, as QB1. Uh, and I'd expect that he'd finish the season unless something, something you know, bad happens along the way. Uh, obviously, everybody's interested in this wide receiver room, right? Uh, given what happened last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, and I think the the guy that gets drafted the highest is uh, Squirrel White right now, Marquise White. Yes, sir. Uh, sounds sounds about right uh, because typically the production in the system has come through the slot. If you look at Jalen Hyatt, you look at uh, guys like Marlon Williams. Uh, I believe he was from the slot at UCF when Heupel was there a few years ago. Uh, although I will say I think he's getting drafted a tad high, given that we really don't know yet, you know, who the guys are who are going to emerge in this wide receiver room. This is I think one. I think that speaks more to just the wide receiver class in general, because again, you have well, like your you have your top eight guys, and then afterwards it becomes very muddy very quickly. Everybody has question marks after that point. Yeah, it's a fair point, right? Like, it's there's not a lot of really proven guys returning this year that you can really just plant your flag on and draft. So you, you do have to take a chance on somebody. Uh, and this is not a bad system to take a risk on. Uh, so certainly, you know, I, I would have liked to see some of the starters, well, the presumed starters, uh, Marquise White, Brew McCoy, some of these guys in the spring game, uh, just to see, you know, how involved they'd be. Uh, but again, you know, uh, without in the absence of that info, it's it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, I agree with you on the QBs, though. Uh, I think Milton's probably a safe bet to open the season. Uh, and again, and I think you mentioned it, this team does run the ball. You know, I think more than a lot of people probably realize. Yep. So if you're in a best ball or something like that, where you don't need to necessarily rely on somebody week in week out, probably drafting one of these running backs. I, I would say Jabari Small is probably the safer one could offer some value because this is a team that they run a lot of plays. They're going to score a lot of points. Uh, I'd expect small and maybe even Selden, uh, you know, to have some pretty massive games at some point throughout the season. So. All righty. Let's keep it in the SEC. Let's go on over to Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels, Land Sharks, whatever their mascot of the week is over there. Really, we can start at the quarterback situation here. Dart, 18 for 37, 302 yards and a touchdown. Spencer Sanders as the backup, 19 for 27, 265 yards and three touchdowns with an additional touchdown on the ground. And then you had Walker Howard, the five-star true sophomore, 11 for 13, 185 yards and three touchdowns with an additional rushing touchdown on the ground. Very clearly, it looks like Dart is ahead in this thing. He had by far the most reps with the first team offense. Uh, first team offense minus Michael Trigg, I might add. They put him on the second team because, quite frankly, the receiving options for the second team were not great. So they wanted to balance it out just a little bit. So, again, Dart looks like your number one QB here. I don't know how much that excites you. Because, again, you got a guy like Spencer Sanders who, again, his rushing ability, I think a lot of people are a little bit more sold on. Although Dart ran for him with 600 yards last year, he just didn't get the touchdowns to go along with it. And once again, in this spring game, he did not get the touchdowns. So, Justin, how are you breaking down this quarterback situation here? Yeah, this is this is a very bizarre scenario. I don't think anybody sort of understood why Spencer Sanders transferred to Ole Miss in the offseason. But nonetheless, he's here now. Uh, and so, yeah, you have the incumbent Jackson Dart and then Spencer Sanders, and then you have another transfer in Walker Howard. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of muddies the waters as far as QBs and drafting. Uh, Jackson Dart from the spring game seems like he'll be the starter, but then again, it, it makes no sense why Spencer Sanders would be there just to ride the bench. So yeah. it's, it, it's, a, it's an interesting one to sort of break down. Um, you know, certainly I like Jackson Dart, 
as a CFF player because he has that sort of dual threat rushing ability as well. Uh, obviously, Spencer Sanders is well documented that he's a touchdown vulture as well. So if he were to be the, the starting QB for Ole Miss, he's probably a player I'd be interested in drafting. But again, it's kind of difficult to tell whether he will be. It's, it's, it's kind of it, it's very much up in the air. Uh, and I'm not going to in terms of the skill players learned my lesson from last season not to bite so hard on the trig uh, spring game, uh, you know, banana peel on the floor, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's good to see that he's involved again. Uh, perhaps this season and drafts, he might be, you know, be able to be acquired at sort of a cheaper price. Tight end 14. Okay. That's, uh, if I recall from last season, he was getting drafted sort of in the top five. Of he, was, he was tight end three last year. Yeah, which and, and I, I was probably part of that ADP because I was drafting him tight end three uh, in multiple drafts as well, and I think obviously I guess a lot of people were. So you know, at a at a cheaper price, maybe he's worth another dart throw. They did bring in another transfer though at tight end, if I'm not mistaken. Caden Priest scoring. We just talked about him earlier on the summit. Yeah, so so that's another one. It's like so at, at, at quarterback and tight end, they they have brought in transfers that on the surface would appear. They would; those players should be expecting to play, is, is what I would imagine. Otherwise, the transfer doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so, as far as tight ends, unless they're running a lot of dual dual tight end sets, uh, I'm a little concerned that Prescorn transferred in for Triggs value. They but I think, they yeah, have no. said that they are going to run a lot of twelve personnel. So again, okay. it, it's fully expected that probably both of these guys will have some kind of role in CFF. I just don't know if it's going to be something we can count on a week to week basis. Yeah, it might be more of like a best ball play, especially with Trigg. I mean, he actually had a massive game to open the season last season. He had like a three touchdown game, and and everybody was thinking, "Oh, this guy." Well, that was the spring game. He didn't get a. He only got one touchdown last year. Okay, okay. So my memory is a little bit off, but I remember him having. Yeah, I guess that must have been the opener. He scored. He had a pretty good game. Uh, So you know, (laughs) there is at least somewhat of a track record of him doing it in an actual game. Uh, so I, I am intrigued by him, and at his cheaper price, I think he is kind of because especially at tight end, it's 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 always kind of a dart throw, anyways. Mm-hmm. So the risk isn't as as immense as sort of the other positions. Uh, and then obviously the running back room, I guess you know everybody knows about uh, Quinchon, uh, and it's, I, I'm intrigued that they're talking about getting him involved in the pass game. Yes, uh, I'm slightly concerned about uh, Bentley and his usage, but I mean Bentley was there last season, and and QJ absolutely lit it up. So. Well, again, like you're talking about Bentley getting involved. The RB2 last year was Zach freaking Evans, and Quinshawn still just completely dominated his entire schedule. And Ulysses is not even nearly as good as Evans was, so I'm not concerned about Bentley whatsoever. Them involving Judkins in the passing game is something I am heavily interested in. Again, already Quinshawn's our our RB1, so like how much higher can we really have him? But if you take what he had last year and now you add in the fact that they're going to want to give him more receiving work, he's going to be a massive, massive hit then. Because again, just in this game, four catches, 41 yards, or four catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. He had 15 catches all of last year. So if you're talking about three to four catches for him every single game, that is a massive jump from where he was last year. And I think he can easily meet his RB1 price range. I, it, it it's it's definitely something we got to be keeping an eye out here. You already talked about Trig. I was the trigger man last year uh, with him. I basically argued his way all the way up to tight end three. I was very 
I, I was I was in on him the moment he transferred along with Dart, and I had seen how Lane Kiffin had used tight ends in the past. And so yeah. I, I basically said, like, hey, that's going to happen again this year. The spring game rolls around. He gets three touchdowns there. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. Oh, my God. And then reality hits me in the face when we get to the actual season. Um, again, we talked about Judkins. Wide receivers, uh, Jordan Watkins stood out here. Eight catches, 149 yards, and a touchdown. Granted, I think part of this was they were just throwing it. They were letting all the QBs just completely rip it. Not a lot of rushing going on in this game. But even still, I think Watkins is a guy that is not going very highly in drafts right now at all. In fact, people I think are going after Chris Marshall more than him. That's a mistake. Fix it. Go for Watkins if you're going to take a shot on this offense. All right. I think we can move on to the other side of the Egg Bowl here. Let's talk about Mississippi State. One of the more interesting teams to watch out for because they're doing a complete 180 on their offensive system. Of course, rest in peace. Rest in peace, not peach. Rest in peace, Mike Leach. Um, but they are moving on from the air race system. They got Kevin Barbet coming in, running their newfound offense here. Lots of run, lot of lot more rushing here than we have seen in the last couple of years. Will Rogers looked pretty good in this spring game, and I believe this spring game was the first time he has completed a pass with more than forty air yards. The first time in his collegiate career, so very much they are changing up the way that they are utilizing Will Rogers here. Definitely something that you're excited to hear about if you are somebody who is taking Will Rogers late in a lot of your best ball drafts because, quite frankly, they're utilizing him a lot in the same way that Chase Bryce was utilized last year, and that got Bryce a QB 37 finish. So, quite frankly, if this keeps up, I could see Rogers finishing in a similar range. Other two things kind of bring up here. Marks was out, so I'm not taking away too much from the rushing performance here outside of the fact that they are running the ball a ton. And they are setting up a lot of big-time shots to some receivers. Namely, one, Xavion Thomas, who was electric in the return game last year for Mississippi State. I love guys like that. It means that they're going to be guys that the staff loves to utilize, get them out there on the field. I think Xavion Thomas is in for a pretty big year this year. Four uh, catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown in this spring games. But then you also got guys like Tulu Griffin who they're not just utilizing deep passes to. They're getting these guys some unique touches, and you got to love guys who are touch hogs like this. Tulu Griffin, um, one of the plays he made in this game was a 43-yard touchdown on an end around. It wasn't a deep shot to him. So you love to see the creativity. You love to see things kind of shaping up here. But Justin, are you actually buying into any of these guys here? Uh, no, I, I've I've made a commitment this season to not buy too much into the spring season. You know, whatever happens in these spring games, bad or good, to not take it too, too, you know, too, 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 too far. Uh, it was a lesson I learned from last last off season. Uh, you know, the, the the fact that you had about Will Rogers is quite surprising to me. <laughs> uh, that was an interesting thing. One thing to note is uh, the OC who's here now is formerly from App State last season, but was at yes, CMU in 2021, uh, which many of you will probably remember if you're playing at the time. Lou Nichols was an absolute, uh, you know, volume pig that season. Uh, although there wasn't really a bell cow at App State in 2022 when the OC was there. Uh, so there is kind of, of an up and down track record of the OC. But as you mentioned, it sounds like they're going to be running the ball a lot more. Uh, it's not going to be sort of that uh, leech um, air raid passing offense the way it was before. 
so I am actually intrigued uh, with the running back room, uh, especially as I believe it was Dylan Johnson was there. He's transferred out. Uh, and so you kind of, because before, even with Leach, and they didn't run the ball that much, but they had these two RBs, Marks and Dylan Johnson. They kind of just tag team in terms of the rotation of that room. Yep. Uh, but now with Johnson gone and with the new OC in town, uh, there could be some some CFF upside there for owning Jacobius Marks. And he's, al- he's already proven in the past that he's like a very capable receiver as well. I don't know if they'll be using him that way. I assume they would because he has that ability. Uh, but certainly I'm really intrigued by this running back room now with this new staff and uh, the new regime uh, within Mississippi State. Marks is currently going as the RB forty seven right after the right at the beginning of the eleventh round. So definitely a guy you can check out in that range for your drafts. Let's talk about one last Power Five program here. We got to go talk about the Southern California Trojans over there with Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, all of our favorite favorites over there. Not too much to take away from the actual starters in this game. It's pretty much everybody you expected. Caleb Williams, Austin Jones, Marshawn Lloyd, uh, Brandon Rice, uh, Taj Washington, Mario Williams. All of those guys got some work early on before they were shut down. We got a really good look at some of the younger guys in this spring game. And by a really good look, I made a really bad look for Malachi Nelson, who was responsible for three turnovers on the day, two interceptions and one fumble. Very much a rough start for him. Again, he's a freshman. I'm not buying too much into it there. But definitely de- definitely served a little bit of humble pie coming in here. He's not going to be a guy who could rival... I, I'm not, nobody's going to rival Caleb Williams. But he's not a guy that came in and you would be sitting there saying, like, oh, he could start for 90% of programs already. No, clearly got some work for Nelson to do. In terms of other quarterback options here, what is Miller Moss still doing here? Get out of here, dude. Not a great performance from him. Nine for for 17, 94 yards, no touchdowns. Dude, you're never going to start for this program. Just go find a QB needy G5 team, and you could probably do really, really well out there. I don't know what League Riley is feeding this man in terms of propaganda that makes him think he has even a remote chance He'll be the starter one day when he's sandwiched between two five stars, but that's just that's just my deal there. Um, your thoughts on the QBs um, that we were able to see there, Justin? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody knows Caleb Williams, so not much to say there. Surprising, he threw Mal- two passes. Well, yeah, and I'm sure they were great passes. Uh, Beautiful, Malachi Nelson. You know, surprised that he managed to throw three interceptions against the air. Well, <laughs> two two interceptions, one fumble. Yeah. Defense, yeah, yeah. So turned the ball over three times against the USC defense. Uh, surprising. Um, in terms of uh, you know the, the quarterback room, I agree with you. I don't know what uh, Moss is still doing there. Uh, I would expect that he probably transfers this transfer portal window. Um, and I agree with the sentiment. Probably you know looking at G five level for him, and he could be an intriguing player at a program like BYU, for example. Uh, but in terms of the quarterback room, you know, it's it's Caleb Williams is to lose, obviously, and uh, Malachi Nelson will will have to see if he improves for next season. I imagine he will. Uh, but other than that, I don't really have too many thoughts on this QB room. I think everybody kind of knows, you know, Caleb Williams is that guy, and uh, he's probably in for a monster season. Yeah, one hundred percent. And 
Again, we saw a little bit of Marshawn Lloyd here. There's a lot of clips going around with some of the runs that he had. But like you kind of mentioned, playing against USC's defense is a lot of times like playing against air. So it's really hard to kind of take away just how good he'll look in an actual game setting. But, you know, it, if, if you're going to play against air, you might as well dominate it. Uh, two other freshmen here that kind of stood out here. Uh, Quentin Joyner, the uh, true freshman running back, led the day in rushing six carries, 92 yards, and a touchdown. I am not confident that he'll keep that momentum moving forward just because of how much Lincoln Riley tends to just bring in transfers. He's not really a guy outside the quarterback position we've really seen develop his own guys. He is not afraid to go to the transfer portal if he feels like there's better options out there. So a lot of people are going to be running to their supplemental drafts, drafting Quentin Joyner early, thinking that like, oh, as soon as Lloyd and Jones move on, like Joyner's the guy. I'm not sold that that's going to happen. I am pretty sold on Zachariah Branch moving forward. Eight catches, 94 yards, and a touch or not a touchdown. No touchdowns in this game, but very heavily involved throughout this game. They wanted an extended look at him. Quite frankly, I think He's a guy that could push Mario Williams for that starting slot role by the time the season moves around. Again, do I think he'll be CFF relevant immediately? Probably not, because you got to get you got guys like Brendan Rice and Taj Washington out there and Dorian Singer. Let's not forget him as well. But I think he's somebody that is going to hold. I'm not sure about Joyner, but Branch, we've seen um we've seen Lincoln Riley when he attaches to some of these guys as freshmen. He is, he's pretty loyal to some of those guys. I think Branch will be one of those guys. Justin, your thoughts on Joyner and Branch? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, again, I would agree with you in terms of their CFF relevancy. I mean, it, you know, it's exciting to see sort of these freshmen break out in these spring games. But again, with players ahead of them, probably, you know, I wouldn't expect much from a CFF angle. Uh, maybe a note on the wide receivers. Uh, obviously, there's quite a few in this room. It's, it's another crowded room. Uh, and with respect to Riley's systems, I think people get caught up in sort of the CD Lambs from Oklahoma, the Addisons from last season. Uh, but if you look at his track record, it is kind of up and down in terms of having, you know, a, an absolute volume pick at wide receiver. And then mm-hmm. there are also years where they spread the ball around quite a bit. Uh, and so I wonder if this season it's going to be one of those type of seasons where there might not necessarily be an absolute wide receiver one, and it's more so you know, spread around quite a bit uh, between, you know, Williams, uh, you know, Singer, potentially even Branch. Uh, so I, I do have some trepidation about this room. Uh, and so I'm, I'm interested to see sort of, you know, whether or not Caleb Williams sort of feeds volume to one wide receiver this season. Uh, I don't know what off the top of my head, what Singer's ADP is. Is he going like in the top five rounds? He is going in about the middle of the third round as the wide receiver 11. Okay, yeah, that, that seems a bit high for me. But again, I, I understand why people would probably want to take a shot on him. But the, ne- uh, the next USC wide receiver that comes off the board is Mario Williams, who is going in the like 13th, 14th round. And then you got guys like... Taj Washington, Brendan Rice that are going even later than that. To me, they seem like the better values, especially in a best ball setting. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. Because uh, again, you know, I, I, just wondering out loud, given Riley's track record, it's back and forth. Some years there's there's a definitive guy. Some years it's sort of wide receiver by committee. So if it's going to be that way, I'd rather pay the lower price and, and then take a risk on one of those those lower ADP guys. 
for sure, for sure. Let's finish up with three group of five spring games that has some pretty interesting takeaways here. We'll first start with Old Dominion. You're like, Old Dominion, Jared, like, come on. Like, it's uh, Ali Jennings, and that was it, right? And he's gone. So, like, why are we even talking about the Monarchs over here? Well, they made a pretty interesting hire at offensive coordinator with Kevin Decker, who last year at Fordham coached up their starting quarterback, Tim DeMorant, to a season where he had 4,891 passing yards. Now, probably a little expanded because the FCS season is just a little bit longer than the FBS season. But even still, that's a very clear, efficient, tons of volume for the passing game. And they got two interesting options here at quarterback with Hayden Wolf hightailing it out of with the transfer portal. You have um you have Grant Wilson, who was at Fordham as the backup quarterback behind Tim DeMorant, who has followed Kevin Decker over here to Old Dominion. And by all uh reports, Justin Shields or Jack Shields, excuse me, is the actual better quarterback, but he just doesn't have a handle on the system as well as grant wilson does so to me you have some two interesting options here that i think could get the system going and possibly here in year one especially helps when you have a guy like javon harvey who scored two touchdowns in this spring game had a ton of hype throughout spring and during the spring game received one of the awards the like the big awards that are given to an off-season player for old dominion the heart of the lion award which is given to the offensive player with the best off season so sounds like harvey definitely is somebody you need to be taking an interest in but this entire system i think if they're able to kind of get it going with one of these two quarterbacks could be very very interesting moving forward so justin any thoughts you have here for old dominion oh yeah so you know i, I think old dominion is definitely a program that's not getting talked about enough amongst the cff community this off season and you hit on it it's there has been a sort of a regime change uh, with this new OC coming to town uh, and his track record, albeit at the FCS level, is, is quite explosive in the past game. They had like three separate wide receivers go over a thousand yards last season alone. Uh, the numbers from the quarterback position were absurd. Uh, and so, you know, in terms of the personnel on this team, uh, Javon Harvey is a guy that I've tried to basically planted my flag down on. Uh, I've written about him a couple of times now. Uh, to get the word out there. I don't want the word to get out too much because I, I still hope to draft them in, in all of my leagues. Um, but just from how the spring has been going, uh, the new system that's there, uh, I'm very intrigued in Javon Harvey, especially given that you can get him pretty much at a, at a pretty cheap price. Uh, yeah. I think if you pull up the ADP, Jared, it'll pro probably just reflect where I've been drafting him because <laughs> most of your mock drafts, I'm pretty sure I was, I was the guy who drafted him. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at it. I yeah, no, I'm 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 coming up with nothing for the first twenty rounds. So, yeah, so it's it's you can basically you can take it for free uh, in a redraft, and so and obviously you know Ali Jennings has moved on, so there is a vacancy there in terms of targets. Uh, they need somebody to step up as wide receiver one. This is an elite system. You know, I'm not going to expect a like for like uh, transition in terms of how productive they'll be. They're, they're probably not going to have three wide receivers go over a thousand yards. Oh no, have. no, no. Right. But even if they capture, let's say, 60, 70, 75 percent of that, there's still probably at least one player at wide receiver in particular that could benefit quite immensely from that. And given that Harvey's name keeps popping up, 
Uh, it sounds like he's probably a good bet to be that guy. Uh, quarterback position, I have no, really, I, I can't speak intelligently about it because I don't know much about uh, these guys. I, I know Hayden Wolf transferred out. Uh, and, you know, so it remains to be seen uh, in terms of who the name is there to, to sort of focus on. Yeah, no, I think I think both of these guys have an equal chance because they both bring something different to the table. I would say Wilson definitely brings knowledge of the system versus Shields probably brings the talent, probably can execute a little bit better on a down-for-down basis. But we will definitely see definitely something to keep your eye out there. Let's keep it in the sun belt here. Let's go on over to the Arkansas State Red Wolves where an old friend has come back to haunt me, and that is Mr. Jeff Foreman, who has reemerged during the spring game. Six catches, 138 yards, and two touchdowns. I don't want to get hurt again, but man, I might start in those best ball drafts where he's not going anywhere near the top. I might take a shot on him pretty late in some of those. We'll definitely have to see. Corey Rucker, by the way, uh, if y'all hadn't heard the news, has been granted immediate eligibility to return to Arkansas State. So you have to imagine that Rucker and Foreman are probably your one-two punch here. Now, who's throwing them the ball, you might ask, because quite frankly, the QB play has not been super strong at Arkansas State the last couple of years, kind of hampered these guys a little bit. Well, you have Jackson Daly, who's a true freshman last year, and it sounds like he is that guy that this program has been trying to develop, not bringing in a transfer. This is a guy built for this system they're trying to run in the spring game. 240 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He looks like he'll be your starting QB moving forward, and like I said, could definitely probably unlock the offensive system that we've been hoping to get from them the last couple of years. Justin, your thoughts on the Red Wolves? Yeah, it's another one that's intrigued. It's it's a pretty crowded room. Is um is Champ Fleming still on this roster? No, he he has moved on. Okay, okay. Well, at least there's that because looking at the roster, it's like you have Rucker, you have Foreman. Is Trevelyan's Hunt still there? I am. I'm. I'm. I'm pulling up uh, CFP Winning Edge just so I can have this receiver room. Yeah, Trevelyan's Hunt and Champ Fleming's are both gone, and Sadie okay. Traore obviously entered the portal. Yeah, well, given those facts, you know, I, I am slightly intrigued then by Rucker and Foreman. Uh, you hit on it, though, in terms of what's been holding sort of the wide receivers back on this program the last couple of years. His quarterback play has been pretty spotty. Uh, and then obviously, it's, uh, I think his name is Blake Anderson, who was the coach here a couple of years ago. And, yes. and he obviously had a great passing system, and that kind of benefited some of the wide receivers. He's been gone for a few years now, and since he's been gone, I would say there hasn't really there hasn't been the same level of success, I would say, uh, in terms of a CFF angle at wide receivers since. No. Uh, so keeping that in mind, just in, in case there are those of you out there who are looking at this team thinking of that system of the past. Uh, but I, I agree with you in terms of I am mildly intrigued, just given that you can basically get these players, the two wide receivers for free at this mm -hmm. point. Uh, so there could be some upside there. But besides that, I don't really have anything else to say. All right, fair enough. Let's finish it up here. Let's head over to the AAC where we have our South Florida Bulls had their spring game on Friday night. Looks like Byron Brown, I think, is pretty much locking up this quarterback competition. Jerry Bohannon played. It's not that he didn't look great, but he wasn't really doing anything to earn the job. Byron Brown consistently, we have heard, has performed the best throughout the springs. 
there are some interesting skill players here. So we have Alex Golish, the offensive coordinator at Tennessee, coming over to be the head coach here. You're expecting him to install that offense. The problem is you don't have a lot of great options at wide receiver here. The two best options in Horn and Weaver have both moved on to Colorado. They didn't really leave a lot behind. Some of the other guys have transferred out, moved on, retired, things like that. So they had they seem to be getting a little creative in terms of who they are passing the ball to. Namely one Kelly Joyner. He's a former running back for this program. He, they have moved him over to the slot. And during the spring game, seven catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown. So again, you're just picture the Tennessee offense as if they didn't have any wide receivers to throw to. So now you have some guys who are kind of stepping up in some unique roles. One Kelly Joyner. The other one I want to bring up here. Are we sleeping on Naquan Wright at running back for South Florida? We touched on it earlier with Tennessee. These run-and-shoot systems rely on the run game a whole lot more than we've kind of been giving them credit before in the past. And again, picture that run-and-shoot system without good options to throw to. That leaves more touchdown opportunities, really, for that lead running back. And Naquan Wright, by all looks, looks like that lead guy for South Florida this year, especially with Brian Batty moving on to Auburn. So, Justin, your thoughts on guys like Brown, Joyner, and Wright? Yeah, well, I'm a huge believer in Brown. I actually did a write-up about him as well back in March. Uh, you know, he actually had a couple of breakout games toward the end of the season last year. He, he went over 30 fantasy points uh, I think in all sort of scoring formats in the last two games of the season, which were basically the last two games or the first two games of his career starting. Uh, so the only two games that he started went over 30 points. Uh, and that was in 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 lieu of uh, Jerry Bohannon, who I believe was injured at the time. Uh, and I think I think everybody sort of in the CFF world and probably even on the USF staff are hoping that uh, or wanting Brown to be the guy. Uh, he was a true freshman last season. You know, he's, he appears to have immense upside. Uh now with the new head coach, Golish, as you mentioned, from Tennessee, he's got a great track record with dual threat QBs, obviously Hendon Hooker last season, Dylan Gabriel before that. Uh, and Brown appears to have great rushing upside as well. So I, I'm super intrigued with Byron Brown. Uh, I think your concern in the wide receiver room is definitely a valid one. Uh, obviously with Weaver and Horn leaving, they also lost uh, Marianne Dolison, who was a slot receiver for them. Yeah, Jamie. So yeah, definitely I would I would I agree with you that I am slightly concerned about the wide receiver room, but you know, in the world of college football, guys step up all the time. You know, True. new names will emerge. Uh so you know, it, it remains to be seen in terms of what wide receivers might step up. But in terms of Byron Brown and the quarterback position, uh fingers crossed he's the starter. If he is, I'll probably own some shares. He's another guy, and maybe that'll change by the time the summer rolls around, but he's another guy you can basically get for free. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't recall him getting drafted in any of your mock drafts unless I drafted him. Uh, so, you know, he, he's a guy who he offers quite a bit of upside. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's as I said, he's a great dual threat uh, quarterback. And the system in place here has has a pretty good track record with dual threat QBs. Yep, he is not. He's not being drafted in the first 20 rounds based on my ADP I'm looking at right here. So you are correct in that so another guy that you should be looking at if any of you are in best balls right now which i know a couple of them are running right now maybe take 
take a shot on them if it's around 20 plus. That pretty much brings us to the end of our show. Covered a lot of teams here. I'm honestly shocked that we were able to keep this right about an hour and a half. So Justin, appreciate you keeping things brief as we covered 15 different teams. So many different teams we couldn't get to today, y'all. There, I, I, I had 37 different teams written down for us to potentially cover today. We had to narrow it down to 15. Otherwise, we'd be here forever. I might release a additional pod sometime later this week after I've gotten some rest to kind of quickly cover some of the takeaways from some of those other teams like Arkansas, Penn State, Virginia Tech, Western Michigan, Arizona State. Uh, might dive into Georgia just a little bit more. Um, Rice, Fresno State's another interesting one. Again, quite a few th- teams that we could dive into, so we'll definitely take check that out later this week. But for now, Justin, you have been absolutely awesome, dude. I hope you have zero butterflies in your stomach at this point because you've been absolutely incredible with your analysis. Would love to have you back on anytime, man. You have been absolutely awesome. Just remind everybody, one, where they can find you on social media, and two, where they can find all of your written content. Yeah, for sure. And then, man, thanks for having me on here. And uh, butterflies are, for the most part, gone. Still a few. Uh, sweating through my shirt here a little bit. But... Uh, you can find me at Volume Pigs. It's, it's written exactly how it's spelled on Twitter. Uh, and then my written content is on Substack. So if you just go to my Twitter profile, the link is there. It's volumepigs.com. And uh, yeah, no, this this was great. Thanks for having me on, Jared. Happy to be back on anytime. Uh, hopefully I didn't ramble on too much on some of the topics. Uh, and I was looking at the show sheet and I saw we were covering like 15 teams. I was like, okay, well, I know you want to keep this to an hour. So <laughs> no, hour and a half is what I shoot for. And honestly, we went over a little bit. It's fine. We had a lot to cover today. It's all good. Honestly, it was probably more my fault than it was your fault. Well, no, no, yeah, no, no, this, this was great. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's that weekend where it's just an information overload, right? There's some exactly. spring so uh but this is cool this is cool and uh hopefully didn't ramble on too much hopefully uh hopefully the listeners learned some things yeah no, i'm pretty sure they learned a lot from you today justin you did a great job also make sure you keep to campuscant.com where justin will be posting some of his articles over there he had a great article on lost and lucky the other day he's got a lot of great stuff coming this way so be sure to check all of that out in terms of what we're doing over here at ctn again we just did the ranking summit for quarterbacks and tight end we'll have the running backs and wide receivers ranking summit in the next couple of weeks we're still trying to figure out a little bit of scheduling there in terms of when we can get that done in terms of what to expect from this show over the next couple of weeks next week we got another big week for spring games not nearly as many as we did this week but Still a lot of big teams like Alabama, teams like that. So be sure to be listening there. And then the following week, to cap off guest month, we will be doing everybody's favorite, the Price is Right CFF edition. And we have Mr. John Lobb and Eric Froton who will be joining us to compete against each other for that. So be on the lookout for that. Last but not least, uh, well, actually two more, sorry, two more things. I got a lot to get on my get off here. Dynasty Month, that is what we'll be doing in May. We'll be covering some supplemental players, freshmen. We'll be talking about Dynasty startups, things like that. So be on the lookout for that. A lot of great stuff there. And then last but not least, go ahead and start getting yourselves ready for the CFF Guide, which will be coming in the 4th of July weekend, a couple months down the road, but we're already working hard on it. So be ready for that. Really appreciate all of you guys listening, and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed weekend. See y'all.